So here it is. The podcast is back. Not in some official, like, we're going to publish an episode every week sort of way, but more in the, there's things I'm curious about, and there's no better format than a podcast to sit someone down and really understand the inner workings of their business. So after four years, the Nathan Berry Show is back. No, there's no intro music. There's nothing fancy like that. But today we're just going to jump in and talk about how Ahrefs was grown to uh, well over $40 million in revenue. You'll get some numbers in the story. Uh, but also how uh, they get to over a million dollars in revenue per employee, which is something that I am totally fascinated about. So on the show today, I have Tim Solo, who is the chief marketing officer at Ahrefs, which is an SEO tool. All right, I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time before the episode telling you a whole bunch about it and recreating the whole intro. So let's just dive in and you can learn all about how Ahrefs is one of the most efficient companies in the world. Um, all right, Tim, thanks for talking with me about uh, how to build an efficient company. Sure, thanks a lot for inviting. So could you tell me a little bit about what Ahrefs is as a company and then um, you know, maybe some numbers as far as team size? And I know you guys don't disclose revenue necessarily, but there's one tweet out there that does disclose revenue. So maybe catch us up on that. Yeah, true. So uh, Hrefs is a software as a service tool for SEO professionals. So whoever wants to get more traffic from Google, whoever wants to figure out how to rank high in Google for whatever you want to rank for, whatever people search you want to be there, uh, we we provide tools and data to help you understand how to do that. So that's uh, Hrefs in a nutshell. And for that, we have to crawl the entire web and collect a lot of data about the existing websites, where they rank, what kind of traffic they get, who links to them, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, our core expertise is crawling the web and collecting a lot of data. Uh, In terms of uh, company size and team structure, uh, our founder and CEO, uh, Dmitry, he has a hard cap of 50 people in our team. So we don't want to grow past that. He wants to to stay small and lean because he feels that 50 is more or less a manageable uh, number of people that he can kind of communicate personally almost with everyone. Uh, so, like, our stru- structure is more or less flat. We don't have a lot of managers, managers of managers, VPs, etc., etc., etc. So, yeah, right now I think we're at 45 people, something like that. Uh, and uh, le- last year, I think in, back in September, Dmitry once tweeted that uh, our annual recurring revenue is uh, over 40 million, uh, and we're growing at a pace of uh, approximately plus 60% year over year for the past like three or four years, and maybe even actually uh, before that. But like as many people understand, once the company is small, it is easy to grow like plus 60%, plus 100%, 200%. But once you get into uh, what is that, uh, eight figures? Uh, it gets harder to sustain the same growth. But so far, we're still growing at about uh, plus 60% year over year. I think this year should be uh, the same pace, more or less, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, I have so many questions going into it. But I, I guess the first thing is, you know, for anyone listening who'd be curious why, like why I care, um, I share similar values to Dimitri and wanting to have a small team, wanting to... Uh, know everybody wanting to have the best people on the team um, and that kind of thing. But I'd love to hear uh, where that came from. Like that level of efficiency is not something that is normal in 
um, you know, I guess in the software startup world, especially when you guys are going out and solving a really hard problem, right? I think uh, people in the past maybe have said like, oh, Basecamp can have a really efficient team because they're just putting, it's just project management software, right? You're just putting information in a database, getting it back out. Now, of course, the team of Basecamp would say it's much more complicated than that. So I don't mean to trivialize it, but I've heard that argument before. You guys, on the other hand, are doing something really difficult. And you're like, hey, no, we index the entire internet. We keep it up to date. And we have to do all that in a really performant way with a ton of customers, right? To be at 40 million back in September, growing at 60%. People could do the math. We're eight months later from that, seven months later. Um, yeah. So you guys are growing at a, at a good clip. Like what... What really sparks that wanting to have a small team? Why not go the other route and say, you know, it'd be normal to have 100, 120 people by this point? To be honest with you, like, it's a question, of course, of our CEO and founder, Dmitry, rather than myself, because it is he who, who established the company, who runs it, uh, and who creates all those, like, vision rules, etc. But from what I can tell, because I speak to him rather frequently, uh, that came from simply not understanding why we need more people. So whenever we were thinking that we need to hire, I don't know, sales, we need to hire more marketing people, we need to hire more technical support, we need, we need to hire more developers, you ask yourself, why? Like, why do we need them? What kind of job we have for them? And what we figured out is that usually we don't even have uh, any job to give. For example, uh, marketing department, which I run, uh, is... I think uh, less than 10 people. I, I always, I'm always lazy to sit down and calculate how many people we have. Yep. It's not that many, but still I, I don't do this. So it's less than 10 people. And uh, sometimes I struggle to give tasks to the people that we have. So we're running quite efficient and every like marketing thing that I want to be taken care of is already taken care of and by very professional people. So I don't see why I would want to increase uh, our marketing department because I like how it is going right now and the kind of value we get right now. I don't see a way, I, I don't see a, a way to scale it uh, so that I would say, yeah, like we've added two more people and they are bringing the same value as the other 10 people that we already have. Uh, with development, it's more or less the same. So we want to hire a few more developers but it is quite challenging because Dmitry himself, he's a technical guy. He has technical right. background. He knows how to code. He knows how to set up servers, blah, 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 blah. Uh, as opposed to Rand Fishkin, the founder of Moz, who is a marketing guy. So the founders of Moz, Rand Fishkin and his mom, were the marketing SEO people. Uh, and Dmitry was a deeply technical person. So uh, I read uh, Rand Fishkin book uh, Lost and Founder. It's an amazing book. I always recommend it whenever I, uh, I, I talk about the topic. And he openly, uh, literally says that I always had a struggle finding the CTO, chief technical officer, a person who would take care of the technical side and who will create a superior product. So they had to hire more customer support people, more marketing people to like help help bring people like community people blah 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 they had all those bells and whistles on their blog where you can upvote comments where you get karma blah 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 they had to do all of that because the actual product the actual uh, crawling the web storing that information and giving to people was more challenging for them than, than doing all these things so i think this is where it comes from 
Uh, Dmitry is super technical person. He's able to hire other super technical person. As they say, A players hire A players, B players hire C players. And this has actually two meanings. The first meaning is that A player is capable of recognizing other A, a players. While if, if I don't have any technical background of my own, I don't know if a person is good in, in technical right. side or not. I can only like wet marketing people. And another, another side to it, if you're a B person yourself, you don't want to hire someone who is better than you because they will then replace you. Like if you're a CTO at a startup, you don't want to hire a person who would be technically better than you because he will eventually take your place and become the CTO. So I think this is how we run efficient because our core, at our core, uh, we're technical. Mitri is a technical founder, so he was able to create an amazing product. Like for the first five years, Hrefs was growing pretty nicely without any marketing. So they only have like, had like developers and the product was spreading via word of mouth because people just realized how good the data is. So I think that that is still, uh, today we still prioritize development over everything else. We still prioritize product over everything else. We want to do things that are better, uh, that will be better than what, what competition is doing. And we want to do things that competition is incapable of doing technically. And I think it helps us tremendously because then as a marketer, all I need to do is tell people, hey, only H, I literally have on our blog an article that is titled only H, nine things that only HFs can do and no one else can replicate these things. So yeah, this is this is how we stay efficient. Uh, we focus on the product that not, not anyone can replicate. Uh, and then like everything else is much, much easier. We don't even have a single sales, salesperson on our team. So tell me a little bit about that marketing side. Let's dive into it because that's the team that you run. You've got 10 people on, on that team. Um, yeah. You're growing at a fantastic rate being in the space, right? ConvertKit is at 15 million a year in revenue and we're growing 35% a year, 40% a year. Um, so you guys are at significantly more revenue and growing at nearly twice the pace. Um, so first of all, kudos, cause that, that's very hard <laughs> to do. I'm impressed. Um, but then what are the, like, what are those main channels that, uh, that growth is coming through? Yeah, obviously you're an SEO tool. So is there a lot of SEO? Is it purely word of mouth? What's going on there? Yeah, so uh, the interesting thing is that we don't even have Google Analytics installed. We don't have okay. any like CRM system besides uh, Intercom, which is like pretty basic in terms of tracking and attribution, unless of course you like set up a ton of stuff there. Uh, so we're not like super scientific with our marketing, even though we're super scientific with our product, like the data that we give to people with our own marketing, like tracking funnels, tracking conversion rates. Uh, we don't see why we would do that while we are growing like plus 60%, uh, everything is fine. So I cannot tell you exactly like what, what works for us, but based on just the gut feeling, uh, first, word of mouth. Like I told you, I joined HRFs uh, four or five years ago four years ago, I think. So, uh, and before me, they were growing like nicely without having any uh, kind of uh, marketing figured out. Like just some basic things like optimize their website, uh, blah, 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 had some blog, but the blog wasn't really taking off. Uh, so yeah, but the product was so good that people were naturally, like a lot of speakers, like when I just joined HRFs, I went to a marketing conference in Las Vegas. Uh, it's called Popcorn. And quite a few speakers were mentioning us in their slides without us having to do any so-called influencer marketing, provide them with free accounts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So 
even before I joined, the product was already so good that it was generating word of mouth. So when I came on board, I realized that I had to accelerate that word of mouth. And uh, the realization came when I was uh, here in Singapore. This is where our headquarters are. And I was on a marketing meetup with a few people. And there was one of the HFs fans. And he was like talking to me and saying that uh, HFs has such an amazing data. Like once I first started, started using it and compared it to other competitors, I was blown away. Like the interface was ugly. Like the design was ugly. The English, like, because at the time we didn't have even a single uh, native speaking person, na native speaker on our team. So he said, the English, like, of your blog, of your interface was terrible, but the data was so amazing. Like, and I started telling him because uh, before that meetup, I was talking to Dmitry, I was talking to the team, I was interested to figure out, like, what's happening uh, on the background, what kind of server infrastructure we're running, et cetera, et cetera, at, at which pace we're crawling the web. And I started dropping numbers to that guy. And he was like, whoa, I didn't know like that you have two, uh, 2,500 servers that power like uh, your tool. I didn't know that uh, you're like crawling uh, webs, uh, like millions and millions of backlinks per minute, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, why don't you like talk about these things? Why don't you brag about these things? Because like people don't know this. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Why, why, why I'm not bragging about the, these things that we have? And so I figured out that if you want to accelerate the word of mouth, uh, first, and it's pretty uh, common, like you need to teach people to use your tool and to get value from the tool. Because as soon as a person will get value from your tool and achieve a result, they will go and brag to their like co-workers, to their friends, and they will go to beers with their like peers, beers with peers, uh, and, and talk about your tool because uh, your tool helped, helped them to achieve result. So this is the first thing, and we understood that we have to uh, create a lot of education about every like uh, tool and feature that we have, which helped. And second thing, you have to give them talking points uh, so that they would know that HFs has like uh, 25 hundreds of servers, HFs has a ton of data. You have to give them focus. Uh, well, like whenever someone will say, why would I use HFs over Moz? They should have like a list of bullet points that they can easily uh, tell uh, uh, their friend. So I focused on uh, telling our customers, explaining them like some of the behind the scenes, why HFs is so cool, what kind of background we have, et cetera, et cetera. Focusing that HFs is a data company uh, first and then like SEO tool second. Uh, and all these things helped uh, spread the word of mouth. And again, I was super lucky because probably within a year from me joining HFs, uh, some company, I think they have uh, CDN or something like Content Delivery Network, uh, but they have uh, access to 100,000 websites. And what they did, they studied which uh, crawler bots were the most active on their network of 100,000 websites. So there was Bing bot, HFs bot, Yahoo bot, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Like every web bot that is crawling uh, the web, crawling websites, they studied which were the most active. And based on their third-party study, which we were not affiliated in any way, uh, HFs had the second most crawler after Google. So once I th wow. saw this study, I knew that I'm going to reference it everywhere. So in almost every blog article, in almost every speech I was giving, uh, in tweets, like everywhere, I was trying to mention that HFs has the second best crawler after Google. And it helped a lot because, again, this was one of those bullet points that helped people uh, explain why HFs is better. 
So yeah, first is word of mouth. Uh, awesome product. People know how to use it and people know how to talk about it, how to discuss it uh, with their friends and persuade their friends that it is better. And second, as you said, SEO. Like we're an SEO tool and uh, we didn't want to be uh, the guys who don't walk their talk. So we, we started working on our blog and back when I joined, our blog was doing uh, 15,000 visits per month from Google alone. Uh, but those visits were like uh, almost random. So we were ranking for all sorts of stuff uh, and they didn't really convert well uh, because the articles didn't even mention our tools. So uh, it took me a while to figure out some simple principles behind uh, how content marketing drives signups. But basically what we did, we started uh, targeting only topics that people are searching for. So other than writing on our, on our blog for uh, some random stuff like what's happening in our company, what kind of features we release, blah, blah, blah. Or like uh, 10, 10 like tips for like productivity, which a lot of companies do. They just don't know what to blog about. They just have a goal of churning like some articles. We focused on topics that have search traffic and those topics should be super connected to what Ahrefs does so that we would be able to plug Ahrefs tools there. So basically we look at our blog, we look at each article on our blog as a sales page for our tool. So if you search for SEO audit and you'll find our article, our article will teach you how to perform SEO audit with Ahrefs tools. And this is good for two ways. First of all, whenever people search in Google for SEO related problem and find uh, Ahrefs blog, they will inevitably want to try our tools because our articles feature our tools so much. And second, all our existing customers, they were getting awesome uh, educational materials on how to use our tools to perform anything. And once we published an article about SEO title tags, like what can be complica complicated about SEO title tags and how would you use like a tool of like Ahrefs for like writing your SEO title tags, it, it feels like more like copywriting other than science or SEO. But we managed to promote our tool within an article about SEO title tags. We managed to find some awesome use cases. And when we emailed that article to our audience and promoted it on Facebook and et cetera, et cetera, uh, I got some replies where people were saying like, guys, you're brilliant at pitching your tools at showing the use cases of your tools, even in cases where it doesn't feel like your tool could be helpful. So yeah, uh, th this is our strategy and this is this is the two main customer acquisition channels. Uh, and yeah, I told you that uh, back when I started working with the blog, it was uh, generating 15,000 visits per month from Google alone, just Google, not even Bing, not even direct traffic referral, etc. Right now we've crossed 250,000. It's like four years later, but we've uh, improved uh, our blog traffic from Google alone almost like by, by 20 fold. And if you count the referral traffic, social traffic, et cetera, et cetera, uh, we're way above that, but I don't know the exact number because we don't have Google Analytics installed. And actually I, I don't even care. I just care about the Google traffic because it's the most uh, uh, relevant one. Um, first of all, that's incredible. Uh, quick question, is there a philosophical reason to not install Google Analytics? Or is this just a, you don't uh, want, like, what, what's the reason? Yeah, there, there's some uh, Dmitry's perspective and philosophy behind uh, the internet becoming like more personal uh, and uh, like all, all those like privacy stuff. So right. uh, GDPR and uh, all, all this stuff. So we are not big fans of like tracking people, stalking people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we removed uh, Google Analytics back in the days of the outbreak of GDPR when people were removing like all tracking scripts from their website. Uh, but then after this, 
when I asked Dmitry, like, uh, can we now install Google Analytics back? Because we, we have solved, like, uh, we have all those consent, all those banners, blah, 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 terms of service. She said, do you think you really need it? Uh, right. And I thought, like, uh, no, not really. Like, I really don't care about the total traffic to our blog as long as, I, as, long as we have uh, Google Search Console installed and I can see the search traffic to our blog. And actually, I don't even visit, like, Google Search Console that often because I actually use Ahrefs to see how the traffic to Ahrefs is growing. I trust our data. Uh, and like for me, it is enough. So I don't really use any other analytics tools by the by, like except for HS. And I'm like 100% honest about this. So it's it's not like a trick. To right. Get yeah, that's crazy. So you're actually monitoring your own traffic based on how you're crawling the web and how yes. HS is crawling the web and yes. looking at search volume and all that. So you're yes. just, if I understand you correctly, you're basically spot checking your own tool against Google traffic for your own site. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And you're like, yep, that's still accurate. Okay, cool. Just look, <laughs> just look well, at it. Well, to be honest, um, it depends on the industry. So we, we did like this kind of test with some of our customers. And uh, the way we estimate uh, search traffic is by having a keyword database and checking all those keywords like in Google. And if you know the search volume of a keyword and where a website ranks, you can kind of calculate how much traffic it gets. And if you know all the keywords that the website ranks for and all their search volumes, you can estimate more or less how much traffic uh, the website gets from these keywords. So what we figured out is that in, in some industries, our coverage of keywords is better. So our traffic predictions are more accurate. In other industries, we have like uh, less keywords related to the topic. So our traffic estimation might be off like three by, by three times, sometimes by five times. But if you compare two same websites from the same industry, their difference in traffic would be the same as their real difference in traffic. So it's not always about the absolute numbers as much as it about the comparison and the trends, like how how well, how much your traffic is growing, etc. So yeah. Yep. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So two main channels, and yeah, so you're talking about you've increased um, search traffic significantly. Um, you had those things on the marketing side to increase word of mouth. Is there anything that you did on the product side, either in app or something like that? Uh, that really increased word of mouth. Yeah, of course. Uh, even though my my title is like CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, I've always tried to add some subtitle because marketing is not the only thing that I do. Uh, like back when I just started and uh, back when I came to HF, there were, there were only 16 people on, uh, in the team. So I... Uh, also added like to my title head of product strategy because the only like two people driving the product strategy were, were myself and Dmitry. I was offering the kind of features that came from uh, use cases from the uh, market, etc. And Dmitry was offering features that are kind of uh, uh, technically driven, development driven. Like he, from his perspective, can see the th things that are technically possible, uh, and we would discuss them and, and create a roadmap for the tool. Uh, right now, we've hired. Uh, quite a few more brilliant people, developers, uh, web designers, etc. So there are a lot of sources for uh, unique features like improving the interface. So I've changed since my title to product advisor. But overall, everyone in our marketing department and actually everyone in HFs is encouraged to uh, suggest like different features, different use cases and different ways we could improve our interface, our tools, our data, etc., etc., etc. So yeah, we, we're doing a lot to uh, our product, but an interesting thing that 
most of the things that we're doing to our product are not uh, quote-unquote growth hacks, but simply improving the product. So um, I, I have, um, uh, I, I'm now publishing articles at Medium about our marketing, about our like uh, uh, vision, et cetera, et cetera. And the next article that I want to publish uh, would be titled something like nine, nine growth hacks that we'll never get to and three that we like uh, heavily investing in. And so uh, nine, nine growth hacks that we'll never get to are things like, uh, for example, push people to annual. Uh, I've heard on some conference that you can kind of uh, track analytics, identify when people are churning or when people are more likely to sign up and send them an invitation to sign up to annual with some discount and it can improve like your attention, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, another thing is put people on hold. A lot of people, when they cancel your uh, software tool, uh, they don't really want to cancel it forever. They want to take a pause, like they, they are having a vacation, they're changing jobs. So some tools suggest you that you can put them like on a very small fee and retain all their data. So for three to four months, uh, you'll keep their account on hold and then it will automatically reactivate. And there are a lot of different growth hacks that we could be like trying out to accelerate our growth. But we figured that instead of uh, wasting our mental resources, our development resources, uh, and uh, our marketing, etc., our time on all those quote-unquote growth hacks that are kind of uh, uh, are needed to kind of trick people into staying. We'd rather invest all of that into the actual features of the tool, into actual use cases, uh, into actual jobs to be done. I think it's the uh, methodology from Intercom. So yeah, we we figured out that the best thing we can do marketing-wise, quote-unquote, is to release more amazing features that you cannot find anywhere else, which would drive people in. So we would release a feature, and then we would try to do a product launch, like promote that feature everywhere. We have a product launch checklist uh, with a few things we have to do to promote that feature. And we figured out that whenever we promote, whenever we create new am amazing features and promote them, it drives more signups, uh, it creates more retention, uh, it creates more customer loyalty, branding, et cetera, et cetera, than any of those growth hacking tricks that that seem like awesome on the surface. But uh, if you grade the importance compared to what we're doing, uh, we never find time to do this. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it, it sounds like you just have this maniacal focus on improving the product. Yeah. And then, so everything comes down to improving the product. And then when you turn to what people traditionally call marketing, you're just like, uh, I'm just trying to amplify the product improvements that we've made and tell yes, people about that. Yes, exactly, exactly, exactly. So then, okay, first, I'm just fascinated by this because um, the, the growth is fantastic and, and where everything is going. Um, what about on the support side? Like how, actually, before we get to support, let's talk business model for a second. Because you yeah. talked about not pushing people to annual plans, which is no. something that a lot of SaaS companies do. Um, they usually do it when they're both to improve retention and improve cash flow, right? If they're doing paid acquisition. Um, so do you have uh, expansion revenue between plans? Like as you look at the breakdown of net new MRR each month, um, assuming that's something that you track, uh, uh, do you, is expansion a big part of the business model? Like what's the average revenue per user? How do you think about that? And how does it change over time? Okay, so I don't know average revenue per user. I okay. don't know like customer lifetime value. Uh, 
Uh, we don't have customer acquisition cost because we don't uh, acquire customers in a paid way. So we, we're not in, right. uh, running any pay-per-click ads. And only recently we started like doing some retargeting on Facebook to like see if people would convert and buy our trials. So we're we're not tracking any of that stuff, to be honest. So we're, we're just tracking uh, how many customers we have, how many customers we're adding uh, each month, uh, and the growth rate, like, uh, is the growth, if the growth rate is the same, that means we are doing everything right. Uh, as soon as it will start, like, massively slowing down, uh, we'll be figuring out ways uh, what we can do better. But still, I'm pretty sure that if our growth will start uh, slowing, we won't go uh, to whiteboard and think of growth hacking ways, like we could increase revenue, how we could charge people more, et cetera, et cetera we would actually think about new awesome use cases, new awesome features that will blow the market away. So this is how we would improve our retention, our acquisition, et cetera, et cetera. This is, this is how HRFs operates. That makes sense. So then like looking at your pricing plans now, they range from $99 a month to $1,000 a month. Yeah. Um, you know, and you have the, the 179 listed as the most popular plan. So is that the only expansion? There's no other add-ons? Like if I'm on the um, 999 plan, is that the most I can pay you? Uh, yeah, we don't have any expansion, but we're working on it. Uh, okay. Because actually, yeah, it's a nice way to improve uh, the revenue per user. Uh, not that we are going to track it, but like we logically understand that this is right. the right way to go. And people are actually ask, asking us for two things. Uh, the first thing that people are asking us is to have users because they don't want to share their login with like their coworkers, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, plus, they want to know like if if someone in their company will buy HF's account and share the login, and people start using it at home and uh, using all the data. Uh, so they want to know like who is abusing the account that uh, a business person is paying for. So we're going to release users. So people will be able, like, once they buy a 99 account or a 179 account, they will, able to, they will be able to buy a few more users uh, and pay us more. The second thing, quite often people are telling us that, for example, we have a tool rank tracker where you uh, put a bunch of keywords that you want to track your positions in Google, uh, and we, we give you reports on how, how that is going. So a lot of people are saying, like, I'm happy with all my limitations in other tools that you offer, but in Rank Tracker, I would love to track more keywords. Can you, like, give me uh, a way to add on purchase more keywords? Uh, so this is what we're going to do as well for a few selected tools where people are asking us for more, like, quote-unquote credits. We're going to give them those credits so they will be able to expand uh, the usage of the tool. But uh, the... The, the nearest uh, thing that we're going to add is users, and then we'll think uh, if we're going to add those like expansions because uh, there's not much difference, to be honest, between like having a person upgrade from 99 to 179 if they need those like increased limit, even for one tool, or like having them pay almost the same amount. Uh, but still being on 99 package. So, and you, you don't really know how like those things would perform unless you have like the superpowers of splitting the universe into two. In one, you would implement that thing and another, uh, another and like five years later, uh, where it will take you. So yeah, we're, we're absolutely sure that we have to add users because there are many, uh, many reasons for that. But we, we're still uh, contemplating about uh, adding those like uh, 
limits expansions uh, because it's it's similar to upgrading. Maybe maybe limits expansion could make sense for 999 account because it's the top account. So if some big agency, uh, the, the, this account is still not enough, they should be able to buy expansions. But if you're on 99 account, like just upgrade to 179. If you're on 179, just upgrade to the next player. So yeah, we will we'll think about it. Yeah, that makes sense. So a set of numbers that I'd be fascinated to see more of. Um, you referenced Intercom a couple of times. Yeah. And in their pricing model, um, you know, we use Intercom as well for um, a bunch of user management, in-app messaging, some of that stuff. Um, and, and today they actually just rolled out another add-on um, of app tours, right? Where there are these tools, like there's a, a tool called App Cues, um, where you can go and say like, you know, put in those little tours of the bubbles and say like, hey, here's a new feature, point something like that and build out some onboarding or that kind of thing without, um, w- without having to write code or, you know, build all that out manually. And so like, that's a separate product. Um, but what I was fascinated by is that Intercom just announced today that they're adding that functionality to their core product as well. Um, but the way they've done it is they have a whole collection. Like Intercom is actually a suite of products and you buy it and then you keep, you know, those additional things, you're paying for them separately. And so it's kind of fascinating to see that you have the rank tracker and site explorer and site audit sort of as separate tools a little bit, right? You're talking about the usage is different, but you're charging for them in the same way. So would you ever go into that model more like intercoms doing where, Hey, you're already paying us, you know, um, one seventy nine or three ninety nine for all of this. We released this new tool, add that on as well for another one ninety nine. We, we talked about this quite a few times. Like, yeah, uh, yeah we, we could go and sell like our tools separately. But again, I don't know what kind of calculations uh, and what kind of uh, models you have to run, like prediction models, to be able to tell if this will be better or, or worse. Uh, but our logic is uh, quite simple. We're growing nicely uh, right now. We're absolutely happy with how, how things are. So we don't have any pressing need to make any uh, cardinal changes to, right. to how things are. So no, whenever we release something new, we just add it to, to the tool set uh, without, asking, without asking people to, uh, well, we might increase prices again further down the road because we, we increased prices quite a few times uh, since the HS was started. So this is more plausible that we will just increase prices on all layers. Of course, we will grandfather, grandfather all the previous customers, but we'll increase prices for all the new customers. But as for selling, like uh, it is, it is a simple move and it is pretty obvious. Uh, but as for selling tools separately, uh, we don't know how to make this kind of decision. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, tell me about your free trial. You've got a, a $7, seven yeah. day trial. I, I said free trial. Uh, really, tell me about your tr- your trial, your paid trial. Um, How is that working? Have you t- tested other things? And what's the thought process there? Yeah, uh, this is a common question whenever I talk to fellow like uh, SaaS people, uh, because I think uh, paid trial is not a common thing. I, I, yep. I haven't seen many paid trials uh, in other SaaS tools. So uh, the reason why we implemented paid trial is simple because people were heavily abusing our free trial. 
So on right. our free trial, uh, back when I joined, uh, we had two weeks for free uh, with full access to everything. So if you get two weeks for free with full access to everything, what keeps you away from like creating new and new trials? And uh, because we're outsourcing our billing to a company called Fastspring, uh, and they are not super flexible, so we're going to move to something else eventually. Uh, they they couldn't prevent like the, this kind of fraud. So uh, we try to like uh, monitor IPs, cookies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like for people, it is so easy like to uh, to to work around this. And our trials were heavily abused. So at one time we uh, calculated how many uh, paying customers we had and how many people were on the free trial uh, like the same day. And they think uh, it was three times more people active on a free trial than we had paying customers. So we knew this has to stop. We knew we, we wow. have to like cancel uh, free access to their trial. So uh, initially, I, I told Dmitry like maybe we should charge ju just one dollar to without people who are like not willing to spend even one dollar and see how it works. To which he immediately said, "Let's charge one dollar per day." But I was like, oops, of course, like we were a bit hesitant to do this because like it's not common to, to charge for a trial $7. It's not that like you will go and pay $7 to a random tool that you want to try. Uh, and uh, like, again, the way we, we didn't run any A-B tests, so we didn't like create a cohort who would like sign up for free trials and the cohort who would like uh, go with paid trials and see like how it performs, blah, 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 because there are a lot of bells and whistles to tracking that uh, perfectly and we would need to hire a few people to just uh, make those experiments for us. So we implemented that, that paid trial uh, and looked at our growth. Uh, growth seemed like the same, uh, but then there was one month where growth kind of stalled. So we were a bit afraid and we rolled it back. We, we implemented free trial again, uh, but again, the abuse rose even more. So we thought, okay, like we, we cannot allow that. And we went back to free trial and the, the growth stayed the same. So uh, implementing free trial didn't uh, affect our growth. Uh, and there's one interesting realization uh, so a lot of people uh, uh, on the SaaS conferences, they would talk about the so-called aha moment. This is when uh, people enter your tool, they click around, and you you can you should kind of guide them towards something that they would do, and it would click with them, right. and they will realize how your tool is awesome, what's the value of, of your tool, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So after implementing $7 trial, what I realized is that aha moment is not something that happens after people sign up. Aha moment is something that happened before people sign up because you wouldn't pay $7 for something that you don't know how it works and you don't, you don't know what kind of value. So this is why all our educational materials on our blog and we also launched a YouTube channel with a ton of edu educational materials there and all this education that we're doing and all that word of mouth where people actually uh, tell each other the use cases of our tool this is what creates aha moment for us. You go to the beers, you go to beers with your friends, uh, and one of them says, I'm using HS, and it can tell you all the top ranking pages of your comp competitors and how they get traffic. And you're like, I know how to use it, and I'm willing to pay $7 to see just that. Or you go to uh, Google, you search for SEO audit, you read an article about how to do SEO audit with HS, and you get that aha moment, you're willing to pay $7. And $7 is, is also a perfect way to without like 
people who are not looking to buy anyways, who are not looking to spend any money uh, anyway. So it decreases the load on our support team. It decreases the load uh, on like developers who will like work with all the bugs, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's uh, it's a great move for us. I don't know about other companies and they think that if you don't have that word of mouth that we have and you, you don't have that abundance of educational materials, which create aha moment before a, before a person will even try the tool, uh, with a lot of SaaS tools, for example, when I when I want to research if I want to use a certain tool or not, I will go to YouTube, I will search for the name of the tool, and they want to see people, how they are using it, what they, the use cases. And in many, many, many cases, I don't find any kind of tutorials, any workflows, any uh, screen, uh, screen grabs of how people are using our tool. With Ahrefs, it's different. If you search Ahrefs on YouTube, like you will find our own YouTube channel and you will see a ton of use cases. So you don't even have to pay $7 to see like how tool works and how what, what kind of value you will get from it. So you, you have that aha moment before and then you, you can uh, uh, pay $7 to actually try it for your own project's websites. Yeah, and so one thing that I want to dig in on there is the impact that's had on support, right? Because you're you're running, obviously you have a higher price, so that helps. You know, your average revenue per user is a bit higher. Hopefully, you have a little more sophisticated of a customer. Um, I'm kind of just comparing to our business because that's the only other SaaS company that I know intimately. <laughs> um, but with that, I like for us, we have. Uh, we have a completely free trial, no credit card required even. Uh, and we've tested both ways. Like you used to have to um, pay up front. We used to not even have a trial. We had a 30 day uh, money back guarantee. And we've tried all the different things and, and uh, tested it pretty extensively. But one thing that we've noticed is now we've got between six and 8,000 um, new trials signing up every month. And that actually a fairly significant amount of our support volume is coming from those people that aren't even paying us yet. And it sounds like you discovered the same thing, that these free trialing customers were having a pretty big impact on product usage and support. Is that right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Of course, yes. So what else um, have you had to do on the support side um, in order to support the product with a really small team? Yeah, so our support philosophy, uh, I think I created, we are using uh, a tool called Notion to like organize our internal documents and stuff. Uh-huh. It is tool i like it personally a lot uh, and they created a document for support i myself like uh before tapping into so i i worked six years in in support for a hosting company uh back when i was in ukraine we had an outsourced team so uh some hosting company in canada was outsourcing support to uh ukraine so i like in six years i've learned a thing or two about support and uh, the way i explain support to every new person that we hired to support is the following. The goal of uh, customer support, the technical support of HREFs is to eliminate customer support in HREFs. So our goal is to make sure that if a person asks a question, we have to figure out how to make sure that no one will ask that question again. And usually it comes down to improving the interface. So if people don't understand how something works, we might create a hint. We might create some explanation. We might reorganize the interface. We might fix the way we display data, etc., etc., etc. Of course, uh, help section. We create a help section uh, with answers to uh, all common questions. 
a lot of questions are answered on our blog and our videos. So the goal of support is not only to talk to customers, but also provide feedback to marketing team. Because if people are asking some questions uh, about our data, it means that marketing team wasn't able to properly in our like educational materials and our promo promotion materials properly educate people on how the thing works uh, because they still have questions about it. Uh, if something is unclear about the interface, uh, the support team has to provide uh, feedback to, to our designers uh, slash uh, product team so that they would fix interface in a way that it would be more intuitive. And uh, the latest kind of addition that we had to our interface is uh, for every report, we are creating the how to use it link. Uh, so whenever you come like... Uh, I was, I was thinking about ways to educate our customers on our tool for a long, long time. Like uh, whenever I meet uh, customers of HFs, I would ask them like, uh, so we have this feature, are you using it? Uh, and the guy would say, no, I didn't know it exists. And I would ask like literally, what do you think is the best way for me, for us to educate you on like all the new tools that we release on all the features and our customers? struggle to give me an answer because if I think if I tell them should I launch like a weekly webinar and invite you they say no I won't come do you follow us on Twitter no I'm not following your Twitter do you like check the emails that we're sending you like one like one in five one in three so there's absolutely no way to teach people on our interface other than when they will search for something in Google we, we would make sure that our article will be there and they will see like, oh, HFs can actually do that. I can do this in HFs. So then I figured that probably the, uh, the single best way to do this is whenever people click on some report and they don't know how it works, within that, that specific report, we should have educational materials. So we have kind of uh, HFs Academy that teaches you how to use HFs tools but it's separate. People have to find it somehow and a lot of people are not finding it. But when you're actually in the tool and you're like looking for like a broken links report, you, you click broken links report, you have to see like a link that will explain you how to, how to use that broken link report. So this is the latest thing that we're implementing. And again, it stems from a conversation with our, our, our customers, feedback from support, when people don't understand how certain reports works, how data is generated, et cetera, et cetera. So we're trying to create uh, educational materials within the actual reports, within the actual features of, of our tool. So yeah, overall, the goal of support is to eliminate support, is to make sure that we do everything possible that this question won't be asked again. Uh, but still, as we're growing, as we're getting like thousands and thousands of new customers, it is inevitable that the volume of questions will grow anyway. Like no matter how you do, no matter how intuitive is your interface, no matter how many educational materials you have. So like uh, in, the, in one of the latest conversations with Dmitry, he said that he will probably remove the uh, customer support department from the 50 people limit. Uh, because as we grow, like if we, if we will double the size of the customers that we have today, We'll, we will inevitably have to double the amount of support people that we have. This is inevitable. Yeah, that's a lot of the same trade-offs that, that we've had to make, but it sounds like you've stayed really efficient. So how many customer support team members do you have at the company, roughly? Uh, we have, uh, I think, two people per eight hours. So divide the 24 hours into eight, that would be like three, three. to four. So, so you have six... Six, six customer support team members? 
Six or seven, yes, yes, yes. And if we assume that $40 million a year in revenue, which you're obviously more than that, $179 is an average revenue per user, which is probably a bit lower than that, uh, then what would that be? Uh, you, I mean, you're, you're over 20,000 customers. Over, yes. So you have six or seven people supporting 20,000 customers and 40 plus million a year in revenue. Yes. That's pretty impressive. So, I mean, I guess two things are interesting. One that Dimitri is thinking about removing, uh, support from that 50% (laughs) limit. Yes. Yes. And yet at the same time, we've pulled off a support level of support efficiency that, uh, is pretty incredible. Yeah. So is it, I mean, do you outsource any of the support as well no. or is it? Well, uh, what, what do you mean outsource? Like half of uh, HF's team is actually remote, but they are not kind of freelancers. We don't consider them as outsourced. They are, they are full-time employees, but they work uh, in the comfort of their home. So the guy, Sam O, the guy that uh, is in charge of our YouTube channel and does all our educational vi- videos, uh, he's in Canada. He's working from his home in Canada. Our awesome Joshua, who runs our blog uh, and all our content, he's uh, living in UK. But they, yeah. both of them are our full-time employees. So everyone in HFs is considered a full-time employee, but many of them are working remote. Uh, and here in Singapore, we have an off- we had have office. Uh, actually, right now it's the second office. One we have a small office in Ukraine with five people there. And here in Singapore, we have like. Uh, 20 people or something. So yeah, 20 people are in head office in Singapore and everyone else is catered uh, around the globe. Got it. Yeah, I think uh, some companies, you know, either outsource support to a totally separate company or hire contractors and things like that. But it sounds like... No, I I used to work in outsource support from Ukraine for a Canadian hosting company and I know that this is not the way to go. And uh, our our philosophy is to keep everything in-house. I also try to outsource parts of marketing that never works out, like when you try to outsource your content. Because all these people, they don't care about the success of your company as much as like right. uh, you care and as much as your employees care, if you care about your employees. So a- as a company, we try to care about our employees and our employees try to care about the company. So we have, uh, we, we, we have like nice training for our support people. Uh, and they are extremely knowledgeable and extremely helpful. Uh, and uh, our support people are like uh, anytime they can ping uh, other departments in Slack, they can talk directly to uh, developers, et cetera, et cetera. So our support is, is quite efficient and quite trained. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's talk about the marketing team for a second before we wrap up. Um, like what does each person on the marketing team do? You said you've got eight to 10 people there. Um, what do you have them focus on? Yeah, okay. So, uh, as I said, we have Sam who is in charge of uh, video video content. Like, whenever we need any video tutorial, it's Sam. We have Josh who's in charge of our blog. Uh, all content that is published in our blog will go through George, uh, Josh. Uh, previously, I was uh, also participating in every single article we publish, but now I feel that Josh is up to speed and I no longer have to guide him. We have uh, two writers here in Singapore. Uh, who are basically uh, writing articles for HF's blog, but George helps him out with this. And those two people are also doing some side tasks, like running our Twitter account, running our Facebook account, even posting some uh, pictures on our Instagram account, uh, yeah. doing some Quora answers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, doing some outreach. 
we have a person who is responsible for like all sorts of sponsorships, swag, like sending t-shirts to people, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we have uh, a person who is slash marketing slash uh, product person uh, because uh, he's working, for example, on uh, one of our tools, HF's uh, SEO toolbar. And at the same time, he, he's creating some educational materials about uh, some of our tools, does some product announcements as well. Uh, and we have two people who are translating our blog uh, to Russian and to German, uh, while also doing some also out outreach work, uh, etc. And I think that's it. Yeah. I yeah. So that makes sense. If, if anyone is watching and I've missed you guys, I'm sorry. But I hope I didn't. <laughs> That's what I always worry about when I'm describing the team. And I'm like, I probably just forgot an entire group of people, <laughs> you know. But I love you. You know, <laughs> you're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, so then so that makes sense. You've got the team pretty heavily focused on like the, that's content, you've got social media covered, you've got sponsorships, um, a lot of education there. That's good. I mean, the like, um, just as we kind of wrap up, I'd, I'd say thanks for taking all the time to share uh, all the details of the company. And you guys have built something pretty incredible. So, like, <laughs> honestly, I'm probably going to take a bunch of notes and then email you more questions and and all of that, just because um, it's a great model and and I love the focus on everything being product first and you know keep yeah. coming back to that. Yeah, I think I'm super lucky uh, working at HRFs for two reasons. Uh, the first reason is that our founder is so deeply technical because before joining HRFs, uh, I was bootstrapping my own projects. Um, I had my personal blog. Uh, I was uh, creating my WordPress plugins. I was following guys like you. I was reading your blog back yeah. when you like published eBooks about authority model or something like that. Uh, so yeah, I was doing all that stuff and uh, it was growing more or less, but my biggest struggle was that I couldn't find the person who would take care of the technical stuff. So any any tool, any service that I was creating, it was pretty bad because I, I struggled to, to understand who would be a good programmer, who, who could be a, a good developer and who wouldn't be. So at HFs, I don't have that problem. I don't care about the technical side at all because I know that Dmitry like, has it like levels... Uh, above what uh, I would even think of. Uh, and the second thing is that Dmitry is not the uh, kind of marketing guy or like uh, here's the SaaS conventional knowledge guy. So when I joined HRFs uh, as the like only marketing person in the team, uh, instead of telling me like uh, you should like set up funnels, you should run A-B tests, uh, you should uh, track cohorts, uh, like etc 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 dimitri only told me like so we have this amount of customer customers right now our annual recurring revenue is this what can we do to increase it so immediately instead of thinking about some arbitrary marketing metrics like uh, conversion funnel uh, like i don't know like and everything that i described i was thinking about the actual bottom line so the only thing we cared about bottom line how to attract more customers, how to retain those customers, and how to make sure that uh, these customers will upgrade from layer to layer. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm incredibly lucky that uh, Dmitry doesn't have that conventional SaaS uh, like vision and knowledge of tracking all those like metrics. And we're like, 
maybe it works for other people and especially for venture funded companies who have to report to their like uh, to people who invested in them this is why they have to like obsess over creating presentations with their growth trajectory ltv cog blah 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 in our case we're only looking at our uh, revenue growth uh, and we're doing fine without all those like fancy tracking metrics and etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah, well, I'd say that you're doing more than fine. So it's it's a great story. Where uh, where can people follow you? And then obviously they can check out Ahrefs at uh, ahrefs.com. But where should yeah, they follow it's you? Better, it's better if people will check out Ahrefs at YouTube. At YouTube? Like, yeah, of course. Because if you go to ahrefs.com, you will see our homepage like, with a bunch of stuff that won't be relevant to you. And you will not pay $7 to sign up for our trial to try like browse around and click around so better go to youtube uh search for hfs and see some videos like of what uh hfs can do for you and you maybe you may become interested to uh try our tools as for me i think the best way is to find me on twitter team solo uh just search for me on twitter you'll find me and i'm pretty active there sounds good well i love the fact that i mean even in this case you're taking it home with the ways that hfs wins over time is a fantastic product and then fantastic product education where you're effectively, I mean, what you just closed with is YouTube is our best sales page. Like yes. our highest converting funnel is product education. And I mean, that speaks highly to me because our YouTube channel is a little neglected right now. And we have a similar, a similar audience in that, you know, when we win, when they're successful. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, Tim, thanks for hanging out. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to keep learning more. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Well, there you have it. There is the first episode of the Nathan Berry Show in four years. Thanks to Tim for hanging out. Um, don't expect any more episodes in the near future. But as I have some of these conversations, if people are willing to record them, I'm absolutely going to share them with you. And I'll also probably you know, work on audio quality and that kind of thing. But if you're just listening to this, I do publish a blog post every single week at NathanBerry.com. So go there, sign up for my email list. And of course, most of the things that I have going on are over at ConvertKit. So check that out. All right, that's it. Have a great week.